morning. Happy Father's Day to our fathers in the room. Man, you guys are champions. Can we give it up for our fathers? <laughs> Woo! You guys are champions. You're the heroes, man. Sit back. You get to do whatever you want to today. Sit back in your recliner, watch whatever you want. You get a pass from me, okay? Uh, man, we're very thankful that you're here. We want to welcome LaGrange. Uh, we love you guys. Also, anybody that is on Facebook Live, if you're at the, at the beach or at the lake, we hope you're enjoying your time, and thank you for tuning in. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are right in the middle of our sermon series called Two Tickets to Paradise. And, uh, you know, when we think about paradise, a lot of times we think about a location, right? We think about Turks and Caicos. We think about the Bahamas. We think somewhere just absolutely beautiful. But if you will allow me, I want to think about this in kind of an abstract way for a moment, okay? Kind of a roundabout way. And this this idea of paradise doesn't always have to be a beach chair and an umbrella, right? If we can go through life and be comfortable and not get into painful situations, we're good to go, right? Can I get an amen? If I can just avoid certain situations in my life, you know what? I'm good to go. If I was to ask, uh, you know, poll the audience today and say, have you ever been through uh, an uncomfortable situation or a painful situation, every hand would go up in this place, right? It's kind of the opposite of paradise. And I kind of want to line out a couple of these situations and what I'm kind of thinking about and go with me for just a minute. But certain situations aren't limited to this. But number one, awkward moments. How many of you have ever been in an awkward moment so awkward it just made your skin crawl? Anybody? Yes, of course, all of us have, right? Uh, instances such as awkward silence in the middle of a conversation. It's painful, right? It's painful. And, and for those of us that hate that, you just want to bl blurt something out just to break the silence, right? For some men in the room, uh, spending any amount of time with, with a, uh, somebody else's baby, right? That can be awkward. Uh, being in a large crowd just can drive people up the wall. I know lots of people that would rather be in their recliner at the house than ever go to a party or a big gathering, right? Um, I, I read this one the other day. It's like uh, standing next to another person and at a urinal, right? That is an awkward position. And for men in the room, we're just going to avoid that, right, at all costs. It's just awkward. Or public speaking. For those of you that are, are fearful of public speaking, standing up on the stage, addressing a crowd— is an awkward, painful situation, right? We want to avoid those. those that's the opposite of paradise. Another uh, situation that I was thinking about is losing. We all hate to lose in life. We all hate failure. Yes, we learn from failure, and, and we shouldn't be necessarily afraid to take risk and do that, but we hate to lose, man. For the men and the fathers in the room, I, I mean, it's written into the DNA, into the core of who we are to be winners. We want to win. Um, my son, Eli, he's uh, now able to beat me at horse in the driveway. And, and after he beats me, I literally have to go take a walk for a second because it's frustrating. I, I don't want him to beat me at horse. It's who I am. I want to win. I was reading an article about a, a, a tennis pro back in the 70s, Connors. He won a ton, a lot, a lot of winning. And he made this comment. He said, I hate the idea of losing more than I like the idea of winning. We just don't want to lose. Men are successful, women are successful, and uh, we just don't want to lose. And so I want to share uh, with you an instance out of God's Word. Uh, turn with me to 1 Kings 20. 1 Kings 20, and uh, I want to share, you, share with you the story of, of a king who won a battle, right? Think about that situational paradise. Winning, being on top, 
is great, man. I love winning. I love, you know, that's it. After he won this battle, there was a prophet that came and he gave him some instruction as to how to avoid losing in the future, okay? And so I want to read this and then we're going to pull some, some truths out of God's word here and uh, really hope that this speaks to you as it has spoken to me over the past little bit in my life. 1 Kings 20. If you've got your phones, turn with me there. You can pull up in the, 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 uh, the YouVersion app, the Bible app, and you can follow along there as well. 1 Kings 20. Hang in there. I'm going to read this. It's going to take just a moment. So I'm going to read it fast. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered uh, his entire army, uh, army accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. He sent messengers into the city to Ahad, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver, your gold are mine, and, your, and, and the best of your wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, Just as you have said, uh, my lord the king, all, um, I and all I have are yours. The messengers came again and said this. This is what Ben-Hadad says. I sent, um, I sent uh, to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials. They will seize everything you value and carry it away. He wanted it all, okay? The king of Israel summoned all of the elders of the land and said to them, See how this man is looking for trouble. Uh, when he sent for my wives and my children, my silver, my gold, I did not refuse him. So the elders and the people all answered, do not listen to him or agree to his demand. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, tell my lord the king, your servant will do all that you've demanded the first time. But this demand I cannot meet. They left and they took the answer back to Ben-Hadad. Then Ben-Hadad sent another messenger to Ahad. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give, each, uh, to give each of my men a handful. He wanted to obliterate Samaria. The king of Israel answered, tell him the one who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Ben-Hadad heard this message while he and the kings were drinking in their tents and he ordered the men prepare to attack. So they prepared to attack the city. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahad, king of Israel, and announced, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hands today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. But who will do this, Ahad said. The prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. The junior officers under the provincial commanders will do it. Who will start the battle, he asked. The prophet answered, You will. Congratulations, you've been picked. So Ahad summoned 232 junior officers under the provincial commanders, and then he assembled the rest of the Israelites, 7,000 in all. They set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him were in their tents getting drunk. The junior officers under the provincial commanders went out first. Now Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported, men are advancing from Samaria, they're coming. He said, if they come out for peace, take them alive. If they have come out for war, take them alive. The junior officers under the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them. Each one of them struck down his opponent, and at this, the Aramaeans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. But, then, but Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. The king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Aramaeans. And here's what I'm getting at, verse 22. You can underline this and highlight it. This is what... The Lord has been speaking to me. Afterwards, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, 
Strengthen your position and see what must be done because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. So to summarize really, really quick, what we read is that Israel's old army, Israel's old enemy rather, is looking to pick a fight, right? They are literally binge drinking. They are getting lit in their tent and they are looking, they are just, they're just bored, man. They're just throwing them back, man, one after another. Let's go fight somebody, man. Let's go pick a fight. So they pick Samaria, they pick Israel. And he sends messengers. He's like, we want your women. We want your children. Gold and silver, throw it all in there. We want it all, right? And that's not enough, right? He's got courage and wine. He's just pumped up. So he's like, I want everything. Ahad says, I can't do that, man. So, of course, off they go to battle. Ahad's freaking out. This is a, a coalition of 32 kings, massive army, right? He's like, how's this going to happen? The prophet says, it's going to be the junior officials, not even your seasoned warriors, not even your great big commanders that have been in this their entire lives. It's going to be the young guys. And all you got is 232 of them. So kind of a cool story. They go out. They inflict heavy losses. Uh, on uh, Ben Hadad because he is probably in a drunken stupor and just like just struggling to even stand up, I'm sure. So uh, I just find that hilarious. So anyways, they win. Ahad won the battle. You could, you could imagine the feeling of winning. You know that feeling when you win. It's like, yes, I won. It's great. And then the prophet came and gave him a warning. He said, hey, it's great that you won. Strengthen your position because the enemy is going to attack you Again, that's the whole idea of this sermon today and, and what the Lord's been speaking to me. Strengthen your position. How true is that story to our lives today? Think about that, right? You've given your life to Christ. You're a Christian. And the enemy wants nothing more than to take you out. You're on the top 10 hit list for the enemy. He wants to destroy you. And just because you've won a battle in the past doesn't mean like the devil's going to quit. He's going to come after you. Just because you're experiencing mountaintop revelation and a relationship moment and experience with the Lord like you're on the top of the world doesn't mean that you're not going to experience a valley at some point in your life. And what the Lord spoke to me specifically was like, hey, Matt, that's great that you won. That's great that you're doing well. Strengthen your position. Strengthen your position. First Peter 5.8, we see... Uh, in a couple of instances in God's word, 1 Peter 5, 8 says that, hey, be alert, be of sober mind. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. John 10, 10 talks about how the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's what he is after. He wants to take you out. And that's what the prophet was telling Ahad. Hey, I'm glad you're in this situational paradise right now. I'm glad you've won. But here's how you can avoid losing in the future. Strengthen your position. What's cool, and we won't get into it, is that they do, they gather up, they meet, they realize that Ben-Hadad's great at fighting in the mountain, the mountain ranges. And they're like, well, we're not going over there. We're going to go down to the valley where we're good to fight. And of course, they went again because they figured it out. They were wise to the enemy and they fought down where they were most comfortable. So I began to think of all the times in God's word where he gives us that instruction, right? He gives us instruction as to how to live. You know, in VBS, we learn basic instruction before leaving earth. That's the Bible. That's what we're, we're to go to this for instruction. And all through God's word, we see how we can fortify ourselves against the attack of the enemy, how we can build ourselves, we can build our life on a solid foundation, not on sinking sand. Over and over and over, he teaches us that. So I want you to do me a favor. Turn with me to Psalms 119. I would like to highlight a few uh, to you today. Uh, yes, you've heard these things. I've heard them too. So just consider it a reminder to you and to me because this is what the Lord is reminding me. 
Psalms 119, starting in verse 9. Psalms 119. How can we strengthen our position in the Lord? David gives us some great direction here. 119.9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Strengthen your position by hiding God's word in your heart. Backing up to verse 9, I love David's his desire here, his eagerness. He's like, hey, listen, my joy and my, my happiness is found in only obeying everything that you say. And he uses this analogy. He says, how can I stay on this path? Right, if you research that word path out, you understand that it has to do with your conduct. It has to do with your behavior. It has to do with your way of life. And you move on to this idea of purity, and, and we all know what that means. That means innocence before the Lord. Clean in the sight of God, free from sin and free from failure. So what David is saying, he's saying, how can I keep my behavior and my conduct clean before the, the eyes of my Savior? He's saying by living according to everything that you say. Powerful. Man, we overlook this sometimes. These are simple principles, right? Fundamentals that we overlook. And then he moves on to verse 11. And this is where David uh, uh, talks about hiding God's word in his heart. He makes this proclamation and this determination. He says, you know what? The enemy's going to come. I'm going to strengthen my position. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to hide God's word in my heart so I don't sin against him, so I don't fail in my relationship. I don't fall prey to the enemy's attack. And if you begin to look that out and you begin to dig this idea of hide, that's not like, hey, I got it hidden here and I'm afraid to show you. Hiding God's word means to store it up in your life, to treasure it in your life. It's the same word that's used in Psalms 34 where David's saying, how abundant is your goodness that you have stored up for me for those who fear you. It's the same idea. It's the same word. It's storing up. It's collecting and it's treasuring. And the idea of your word doesn't just necessarily mean the Bible, and it does, but more specifically, it has to do with his promises. So I love that. David is saying, how do I abstain? How do I stay away from sin? I'm going to collect up his promises in my heart. And so I began thinking about that. I began to think, when's the last time I spoke and I poured God's promises over my life? When's the last time I did it? Like 2 Peter 1, 4, where it talks about how he has given us great promises and that you and I, we get to share in his divine, incredible nature. It's amazing, right? Or Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your good. Plans to give you a future and a hope. What about Matthew eleven twenty eight? It says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, right? That's a promise. Philippians 4, 19 says that the God who takes care of me is going to supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. And what about Isaiah 40, 29, where it says God gives power to those who are weak, or Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight to you, and the only thing that you need to do is to be still. That is God's promises, right? There are thousands of them in God's word, and are we pulling those, are we hiding those, are we collecting those into our life? We are guarded against the attack of the devil only when God's promises are planted in our hearts. That's what David is saying. And I want to encourage you, man, women, men and women in here, cre create tools, create habits 
that allow this to happen. If you can lip, pop in headphones at work uh, while you're working, man, listen to version. listen to God's word, listen to podcasts, have Bibles everywhere. Just create these types of habits to where you are hiding God's word in your heart. And if you don't, if we fail to do this, we fall prey to the enemy's attacks. We fall prey to sin. No matter how wise we think we are, and there's a lot of wise people in here, no matter how wise I think I am, I have a desperate need for the Word of God. Desperate need for the Word of God. So, strengthen your position by hiding God's Word in your heart, all right? Turn me to Romans 8. I got you jumping around a little bit, uh, but this is the the next two that I want to kind of land on here. Romans 8. Romans 8. Strengthening your position, right? Paul, Romans 8's incredible, man. If you, if you haven't, whew, we could do a whole sermon series on just this one chapter here. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 5 and uh, read that. But I want to give you a little bit of backstory to uh, 1, through, 1 through 4. And this is the very famous Romans 8, 1, right? Now there is no, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? He walks through this idea how... It is no longer the law of sin that rules in our life that has been removed, and it's now the law of the Spirit, right? Life in Christ now rules me. Life in Christ is is who, it's my new identity. What I am in Jesus is overpowered. My past and the, the law of sin, it has no place in me. There's no more condemnation. I don't live by the flesh anymore. I live by the Spirit. You owe your flesh zero, nothing anymore. And even when we fall and when we sin, we're, we're acting in opposition to our new identity. It's not even who we are anymore. That's what, that's what he's saying. We don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Picking up in verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Um, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the, the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and it is peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Number two, strengthen your position by setting your mind. Strengthen your position by setting your mind. It's the same idea in Colossians 2, 3. Set your mind on things above. Do you know that your thought life does not happen to you by mistake? Your thought life doesn't happen to you by mistake. You have the ability to set your mind, right? Our minds are incredible. If you research it and study it out, it's just unbelievable what the mind is capable of. It works in a positive, affirmative motion moving forward, and whatever you set it on, it's going to stay on. And if you choose not to set it on something, of course it's going to wander and you're going to get into trouble. But we have the ability to set our mind, and Paul is begging us. He's saying, listen, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the Spirit. I've heard it said like this. It's choice precedes thought. What I choose to, how I determine to live, what I choose to, to, to do, that predetermines my thought. Uh, I told this to the first service. Uh, I love mountain biking, absolutely love it. Uh, I used to mountain bike a lot when I lived in McGrange. We had a great trail, set of trails uh, down by the dam in West Point. I'd go once, if, if not twice a week, and go, love it. Moved up here to Noonan. I sold my bike like, like an idiot. Shouldn't have done that because there's trails here too. And uh, so that's all I've been doing. I've been consuming myself with mountain bikes. I love mountain bikes. And it's all I'm thinking about right now. It's like, you know, fancy that. It's like, I, I want to buy mountain bikes. That's what I'm thinking about. So 
I'm looking at the brands. Do I want to specialize? Do I want a Trek? Do I want a hardtail? Do I want a full suspension? Do I need a lockout on my front fork? Do I need a 29er? Do I need 27-inch wheels? I know we have a lot of routes, so what kind of terrain? So I'm like literally walking through all of these different scenarios as to the type of bike that I want. And it's driving my wife crazy, so pray for her. Um, and it's driving me crazy too, but I have chosen to think about that. I've chosen, I, I'm going to buy, I'm raising money, I want to buy a bike. So that's what my thoughts are on it, right? Paul is saying that when we allow our flesh and our sinful desires to, to dictate that, our thought life is literally being shaped by sin. William Barclay says it like this, to allow the things of the world completely to dominate life is self-extinction. It is spiritual suicide. It's what Paul is saying. It leads to, it leads to death. It leads to death. But, on the other hand, he contrasts it with a life that is led and controlled by the Spirit. That leads to life and it leads to peace. And if you want to strengthen your position against the enemy, you need to set your mind on things above. You need to set your mind on things of the Spirit. Lord's been drilling that in me lately. It's like I'm letting my thoughts wander and I'm dwelling on things over here and I'm, I'm just like, man, man, control. Like, let's get our minds set on things above. Galatians 6.8 says it again. A little bit later in the Bible, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Set your mind. So number one, number one, we need to hide God's word in our heart. And number two, set your mind. And that's really where the Lord has been just drilling this down into me. And, and this last one that I want to read to you and I want to share with you is... Um, just a little bit further down in Romans 8. And um, it's the idea of living from identity, living from identity. I've kinda, I kind of spoke this message in reverse. Really, everything is going to flow out of this idea of whose you are, of, who, of whose you belong to, right? So if you jump down to verse 12, I'm actually going to pick up in 14, but I want, want you to hear this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters. So he's addressing both male and females here. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if uh, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, right? Set your mind. He's building this case, right? He's telling you, hey, the old sinful man, he's gone. You have a new identity in Christ. Now set your mind. Get your mind set put to death the misdeeds of your body. And then he picks up in verse 14. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see, when we receive faith from, when we receive Jesus by faith into our life, we become his children. And a mark, a mark of that relationship is us being led by the Spirit. Do you wanna, you wanna know if you're, if you're in right standing with the Lord? Are you being led by the Spirit of God? That's what Paul is saying right here. And then he picks up in verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. I love this. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We strengthen our position by living from identity. 
by living from identity. What Paul is doing here, he's contrasting this idea of slavery and slavery and fear. And he's saying that that God has given you a new life and you have the spirit inside of you, not so that you go back to this cycle of fear and you're running around and around and around. This is exactly where the enemy wants to keep you. He wants you to be a slave to fear. He wants you to be afraid. And of course, he has you right where he wants you. He's saying, hey, no, 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 listen. You're not a slave to fear. You're a child. You're a son of God. You're a son. And this is not a gender distinction. The reason why he's using son here is he's saying it's, you're an heir. You get to share in this thing. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. And you and I, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. That word means daddy. That means our father. Kathy and I were right in the middle of a right in the middle of trying to adopt and uh, we're really early in the process and God's been working on our heart for a couple of years now and uh, I think we've determined that we want to adopt and so this verse just rings so true to me because I'm kind of already in the middle of this idea right and so we've been praying for for a long time and figuring it out and so we've been saving money and and uh, we're trying to decide if we're going to go domestic or or international and so we've, we've decided to go international so we've picked our agency uh, really great agency, and, and they've spent a lot of time on the phone coaching us with, with what to do. And, and again, we're a long way away, um, but we're on the road. We're on the road to adoption. And so we've picked a country that, that we want to adopt from, and, and uh, we, God just kind of led us to uh, this, this country. And so, uh, man, it's, it's been kind of a heart-wrenching process because, you know, we're filling out applications and stuff, and, and we're sitting down at, at, on the couch at night, and Literally, we have to go through, um, you know, what diseases we are willing to accept. So we literally have to put a check mark by diseases we don't want to accept or ones that we would consider having. And uh, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to think that, that man, I, because of my, you know, I, I can't handle that or I don't, I'm not experienced in that, so therefore I can't do that. And so I'm just thinking about these kids that have these diseases they're orphans and they're they're just want somebody to adopt them and so uh in the meantime we're going to the website that gives a code so we can go in and we can see all the children from the country that we are wanting to adopt and it is it is just it's overwhelming it's overwhelming and so i I want you to take a second i want you to put yourself in those shoes as that child could you imagine being thrown away abandoned fatherless, motherless, homeless, starving, have nothing. And if you're lucky, you got an orphanage or some organization that can provide a meal a day for you and maybe a roof over your head. You have nothing. And uh, so I can only imagine, you know, one of the worker agencies, people coming up to these kids and say, hey, there's families in America that want to adopt you, and we want to help you get adopted. We want to help you find a family. So the kid, I'm sure he's so excited. I'm sure he's just full of excitement. So he runs to wherever his clothes are, I can just imagine. And he puts on, he finds his best shirt, puts on his best shirt, and he buttons it up, and puts on his pants or shorts. And if he's got shoes, he puts them on, and, and he combs his hair, he gets it pretty, and, and, and he puts on his, his best smile. And he stares at the camera and he's like, 
looking at it, and I can only imagine that he's begging somebody on the other side of that camera to adopt him, to accept him in. He's saying, please adopt me. I have nothing. Would you please adopt me? And it's pages and pages and pages of these kids. You guys, me, we are those kids in Christ. You have absolutely nothing. You can put on your best shirt, you can put on your best clothes, you can comb your hair, and you can do the best that you can, but that's not gonna, it can't force somebody to adopt you. But for some reason, but for some reason, our Heavenly Father, He saw my picture and He said, Yes. He said yes to me, and he said yes to you. He's adopted you in, and you're a son of the Most High God, and you have to live from that identity, or else the enemy's going to take you out at the knees. He's going to take you out each and every day if you don't understand whose you are. I have a son. I got two boys. I talk about them a lot. I love them. But as their father, I protect. Nobody's going to touch them. they got to come through me if you're going to touch my kids. I provide shelter for them and food in the refrigerator. They don't ever question it when they go to the refrigerator. They have protection. These orphans, you're an orphan if you don't have a relationship with Christ. When you're adopted in, when you're adopted in, you have protection in, in our Heavenly Father. So many times, man, we make our relationship, you know, we got a pile of people over here who make our relationship about what I don't do, right? I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't hang out with bad people, and I don't ever go to bad movies or whatever it is, and we make it about what we abstain from and what we don't do. And then we got a group of people over here, and, and I would lump myself over here where, where it's all about what I do for Christ, right? I read my Bible, I hang up the Christian thing in my house, and I go to church, and I, I'm in a life group, and I give, and I'm doing all these things, and it's about what I do. But listen, our relationship with Jesus has less to do with us performing for him and more to do about being his child about being his son. And when the enemy tries to come attack us, we're standing behind our heavenly father and he's protecting us. And it's just so incredible. You know, when we finally sign the paper, whenever that happens, when we finally sign that paper, this, this child, his past is no longer his reality. The street is not his home. Fatherlessness is not his identity. He is no longer gonna be hungry. He's gonna have a house. We're gonna give him security. So the new father takes over and the son gets the responsibility and all of the privileges of being in this new house, of being under, this, under the father. Y'all, that's us. That's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, you didn't receive this spirit so you could just be slaves to fear and just beat up by the enemy all the time. No, man, you're a son. And you get to cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. And it even goes beyond that. It goes further than that. Not only are you his, you're cut in, you're, you're co-heirs. Your name is on the deep. You're, you're, you're co-heirs with Christ. It's incredible. So strengthen your position by living from identity. And then, yes, doing what God tells us to do and abstaining from things are, is right. And doing the things like hiding God's word in our heart is good. And going, to, yes, I'm not saying that don't do that stuff. Please don't hear that. But live from identity. Live from identity in who you are in Christ and who he is.
Think about that, man. God prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Man, we're eating, kicked back, having a great time while the enemy's watching, and he's protecting us. He's our father. We have nothing to worry about. Enemy can't get you. Enemy can't get at you. 